For the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, just some various portions of the book of Luke. And uh, just wanted to sort of break from uh, some of the the verse-by-verse, book-by-book preaching that we've been doing and just kind of drop into Luke for six weeks and consider some of the teachings of Christ. I think it's important for us to do this because he gives us a different perspective on life. We easily get swallowed up in the world in which we live and the pressures uh, which uh, are part of that world. Um, we are squeezed or we are try- the world tries to squeeze us into its mold. And that is not only in our actions, but that is also in our thinking. And so what we want to do for the next uh, number of weeks is just to get a different perspective on life. Uh, get a perspective that is a kingdom perspective, a heavenly perspective. And so this morning we want to start off with uh, 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 Luke chapter 22 and a passage on worry and uh, just see what the Lord might have to say to us about this area in our life uh, today. The word of the Lord. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn. And yet your father feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom. And all of these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide for yourselves money bags that do not grow old and a treasure in heaven that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Father, thank you. Again, for your word, thank you again for reminding us of so many important things in this short passage of Scripture. Father, I pray that the hard work will be in us submitting to your word today. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us the confidence to trust you. I pray you will give us the courage to trust you. I pray that you will do a work in us this morning, Father, that maybe has been needed to be done for years, but today is the day when we change our orientation in life. Your word is true. Your word is eternal. May it shape us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We come to a passage like Luke chapter 12, and it's got a context, and I would encourage you, if you have some time this afternoon, to read all of Luke chapter 12. Because I think you will see that Luke writes this as though it seems to be a, a, a discourse that is tied together. And uh, it begins in Luke chapter 12 verse 1 with this crowd of many thousands that are gathering together. And as there's so many of them, they begin to trample one another. 
And then there's this dialogue that takes place through Luke chapter 12. As the crowd is gathered, Jesus addresses uh, 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 the disciples. And then he addresses some who he calls friends. And then somebody in the crowd shouts out to him. And he talks to that man. And then he addresses his disciples. And there seems to be a flow and a connection between these particular uh, verses of Scripture. I think in particular, there is a very close tie between what Jesus says to the man who shouts out in the crowd, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me, and to what Jesus says about worry. There is a very close connection between pursuing things out of greed and in pursuing things out of worry. As Jesus talks about one perspective in, in verses 13 to 22, and he says that we ought not to pattern our life after this man for certain reasons, he then says, and don't worry, pattern your life this way. There's two phrases, I think, in, in the first parable of, of verses 13, the, the greedy man, which uh, I think are important because Jesus counters them as he talks about worry. But the first one is in verse 15, whereas Jesus talks about this man who builds bigger and bigger barns, and he talks about this man's question that says, I want more stuff. Jesus says very clearly in verse 15, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Or, a man's life is not made secure by what he owns, even if he has more than he needs. That's important to hear. A man's life is not made secure by what he owns, even if he has more than he needs. I think we would understand that intellectually. All of us would say, well, yeah, of course that's true. Life is not defined by what you own and by how much you have. But experientially, I think we would wrestle. I was thinking this... um, that uh, uh, what if uh, an alien were to drop into Parksville this week? And I don't believe in aliens. Um, I, you know, it's just a way of trying to make an illustration. So don't challenge me on if I believe there's aliens from other planets. But if an alien, if there was aliens, and one were having to drop into Parksville, and he wandered around the city for a day or two, what would he conclude we worship? What would he conclude by watching us and observing to us that was most important to us. A little bit more personally, what if that same alien then were going to say, I'm going to drop into your house and I'm going to be a silent guest for a week and I'm going to listen to your conversations. I'm going to watch what you view on the internet. I'm going to investigate your mail. I'm, I'm going to just watch your actions. What would he conclude is important to you? What would he conclude is of value to you? See, intellectually, we understand that life does not consist in possessions. But experientially, sometimes our lives might betray that reality. And then you notice at the end of that particular talking about uh, greed, that the man who was greedy built all these barns and then he died that night. And the end of the, the, the parable, Jesus said, this is what it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself and is not rich towards God. But then we jump into this one in, in verse, 30, or verse 22, and Jesus says, therefore. So he's making a very strong connection between the parable of the greedy man, whose life consisted, he thought, in what he owned, and he wasn't rich toward God, to now the disciples and the followers of Christ. And he says there in verse 23 is so important. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. In other words, life and existence is, is not characterized by the fleshly, by the material, 
What really matters is the soul. What really matters is not material realities, but spiritual realities. And then to counter again, verse uh, 21, Jesus at the end in verse 34 says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Lay up treasure in heaven. So there is a clear parallel between these two passages. We're meant to consider worry and greed together. Because in some ways, worry fuels greed. Um, Worry fuels hoarding and stockpiling. Worry fuels a concern about material things and not spiritual things. And so we get to look at life from a different perspective this morning. The command is very clear at the very beginning when Jesus says to his disciple, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. Do not worry about what you will eat or about what you will wear. If we were, as we go through this passage, and uh, I just point this out to you, there are two different words for worry used in this passage. One is used in verse 22, 25, 26, and then a separate word for worry is used in verse 29. The first word for worry comes from an old English term which means to choke or to strangle. That's what worry does to us. It strangles us. It, it chokes us. It, 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 it constrains us. And the second word for worry means to get all worked up over something, to be conflicted by something, to be tossed about it. Worry is something that tosses us from one decision to another. We go back and forth. It paralyzes us. It causes us to panic. It renders us unable to make decisions properly or to think clearly about a situation. The truth is we all worry. Uh, it is it is characteristic of of life uh, of fallen living, and that's the point of this passage because Jesus is talking to his disciples, and so he wants to help them move from worry to peace. But for some people, and there's a percentage that even would be here this morning, worry is absolutely debilitating. It causes panic to rise up within an individual. It, it renders them unable to think and to make um, sound decision, sound decisions. It just, it absolutely constrains them. On another end of the spectrum, there's some here who worry about things that are absolutely trivial and childish. There's things that we worry about that when we compare them with what people in the third world worry or or their existence, and we think we ought to be ashamed that we even worry about such things. Because they are things that in the big scheme of things don't matter at all. But right in the middle, there's just the day-to-day stuff of life that can cause us to worry if we don't handle it well. We live in a culture, beloved, where there are probably three to four million people that are in tough because of worry. We spend tens of millions of dollars a year trying to help people manage their worry. Worry is a big issue. And so what does this passage have to say to us about worry today? Let me briefly make a few observations and then a few conclusions from this passage that I think may be of help. They certainly have been uh, refreshing to me as I was worried about preaching this morning. I wasn't worried. Um, But they were helpful for me. Just to go over these. First of all, just to reiterate what I said, worry is a fact of life. It doesn't do us any good to deny that. 
we are not fooling anyone when we seem surprised when they come up to us and they said, you know, this and this happened to me and I was really worried about it. And we say, oh, you know, you really shouldn't be worried about that. Christians should really trust God. We all wrestle with worry. What we need to learn to do is eliminate worry from our life. And Jesus is just doing that. He's giving the disciples help to move from an existence that is constrained by worry to one that is uh, characterized by trust and confidence. We know what the Apostle Paul says, do we not, in Philippians 4.8? He understood the same thing to the church. Be anxious for nothing. Don't be worried about stuff, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul knew that we can sometimes be troubled by worry. And so he says, don't worry, pray. Peter also understood the same reality. When Peter is writing to his little flock, he says to them, people, cast your cares upon God. Because he cares for you. He recognized that we have a tendency to hold stuff and to pack it on our backs. He says, take it off your back and give it to God because he cares for you. David recognized the same thing in so many places. The Psalms are, Psalms are filled with instruction to us not to worry. And in, certainly in Psalm 56, 56, when the psalmist says, he says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in God. So the, the, the Bible writers are aware that worry is something that presses in upon us, but it, they remind us that that is not the way that we are to stay. Worry is something that we are to wrestle with. Now, the difference between the world in worry and the Christian in worry, I think, is fairly simple. The world says, let me help you manage your worry. And so... Sometimes we manage it with illegal drugs and alcohol. Sometimes we manage it with prescription jobs. Sometimes we manage it with therapy. But their solution is, I just need to help you manage your worry. Jesus' solution in God's design for us and for the Christian is, let me help you eliminate worry. Loved ones, there is a world of difference between managing your worry and eliminating your worry. There's a website for Ohio State University, and they there mention a number of, number of the, the psychological and psychiatric disorders associated with worry, whether it's panic disorder, anxiety disorder, any number of disorders that come out of our working with people who worry. And they stay, one of the statements on their website is this, the goal of any treatment is to make anxiety a manageable part of daily existence. Loved ones, that is not biblical counsel. That is not biblical truth. We are not to look for ways to make worry a manageable part of our daily existence. We are to look for ways to eliminate worry from our daily existence. Jesus says, get rid of it. Stop it. In verse 29, stop worrying. In verse 22, stop being anxious. In verse 32, stop being afraid. Loved ones, we ought not live in a constant state of worry. So even though worry is a fact of life, we are to eliminate it, not manage it. A second thing we see in Luke um, uh, verse 12, 23 is that life is not defined by what we have. 
Life is not defined by what we had have. Now, if you watch TV for any length of time or read some magazines, a number of magazines, or observe people, you might not get that conclusion. Because we are driven to purchase. We are driven to store. We are driven to build bigger and better. But life does not consist or is not defined by what we have. Our soul is not identified or made sense of by stuff. The man in the parable that uh, that is before this passage on worry thought that his life was defined by stuff. And so when he got more and more stuff, he built bigger and he built bigger and bigger barns for his stuff. But he had no thought for his soul. As you look at your life and as you consider your needs, remember that there is more to life and existence than physical realities. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every Word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Third point. Don't lose your mind. Use it. This is so important when we come to worry. Many of you are familiar with um, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, um, his sidekick. And um, some of you might be familiar with this, this dialogue that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read. But as I read the dialogue, listen carefully and see which character you most closely resemble. So it begins with Holmes, and Holmes says to Watson, you see, but do you observe? The distinction is clear. For example, you have frequently seen the steps which lead up from the hall to this room. Watson, frequently. Holmes, how often? Watson, well, sometimes, hundreds of times. I think some uh, hundreds of times. Holmes, then how many are there? Watson, how many? I don't know. Holmes, quite so. You have not observed. And yet you have seen, this is just my point. Now I know that there are 17 steps because I have seen and observed. Most of us don't know how many steps we regularly ascend every day in our home even or or when we go to our workplace and therefore we relate more to Watson. But Holmes is making a point that's very similar to Jesus's here. And Jesus is indicating that we need to use our heads. We need to use our minds. We need to look around us and think. Twice in verse 24 and in verse 27, he says, consider. Consider. Now that word consider means get a hold of yourself. Look around you. Think this thing through. How often is worry fueled by emotion? How often is worry fueled by stuff that isn't true or doesn't even exist? Most of our worrying is not based in fact or reality. And Jesus says to his disciples, you need to stop. You need to get a hold of yourself and you need to use your heads and look around you. Jesus tells his disciples, for instance, to look at nature. Take the raven, for example. He says, it doesn't sow, it doesn't reap, it doesn't have barns or storehouses. And and also, look at the lilies or the flowers in the field. They're here today and they're gone tomorrow. Now think about that. Look at how God cares for his creation. Look at how God cares for the birds of the sky. He feeds them. Look at how God clothes the lilies and the flowers of the valley. How he cares for them. Think before you worry. Alistair Begg was quoting Mark Twain, who was reported to have said, I have had many troubles in my life. Most of them I have not experienced. That is so true. 
That's what worry does. Worry is not based in fact or truth, and it causes us so much grief, and then it's gone. Fourthly, move from a comparison of the lesser to the greater. And this ties or flows from the point three. Remember that God has gone to incredible lengths to create you, loved ones. Notice what he says then about the ravens. He says, how much more valuable are you than birds? Do you see the logical leap that he's asking us to make? If God cares for the ravens, who are an unclean animal and one of the most or least like birds, he feeds them. How much more valuable are you than ravens? Will not God also care for you? Observe and make conclusions from that. Dear ones, think before you worry. God has created you. He's made your body. He knows that you need food to sustain it. He knows that we need clothes to keep us warm and and for our comfort. He, He knows all of that. So why worry about that stuff? Psalm 8, 3 to 9, when I observe your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you remember him? You made him a little less than, than God and you crowned him with glory and honor. You made him Lord over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all sheep and oxen, as well as animals in the wild, the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the oceans. Yahweh our Lord, how, how magnificent is your name throughout all the earth. Psalm 139, verse 13, following, For it is you, God, who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I am remarkably and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know this well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret. When I was formed in the depths of the earth, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Loved ones, if God has gone to such great lengths to create you, if he knows you inside and out, if he knows your beginning and your end, will he not also provide for you? Fifth, worry is useless. Why do it? It may sound so simple and basic, but it's true. Worry is useless. Why do it? Can you make yourself taller? Can you add a single hour to a day that doesn't seem long enough? If you were to read a couple different translations here, you would find that that there's an issue in verse 25. Which is it? Is Jesus talking about adding a cupid, cupid, (laughs) a a cubit, which is about 18 inches to my height? Or is he talking about adding an hour to my life? I don't think it really much matters which way you understand it. It could mean both. The words are ambiguous enough that either translation could be right. Both are meaningful, though. It's like Jesus might be saying, which of you, by worrying, can grow to the heights of Albert... I can't remember his name now. He's a defenseman for the... Andrew Alberts, that's it. Andrew Alberts is a defense... He's the tallest Canuck player. He's six foot five. Which one of you, by worrying can make yourself six foot five. Unless you're already six foot five. Conversely, which of you by worrying can add a single hour to your day? You see, 
What Jesus is saying is worry is useless. Nothing is gained by it. We waste time and energy over things that we have no control over it. What does, what do, ask yourself, what does worry change? Absolutely nothing. Again, Alistair Begg was quoting an old man who once said, worry is like sitting in a rocking chair. It might give you something to do, but you won't get anywhere. <laughs> Loved ones, that is so important for us to understand. Worry is useless. Why do it? Sixth point. God is not miserly. Consider the flowers, Jesus says. Again, put on your thinking cap now. Consider the flowers. They are incredibly beautiful. In fact, we could line up, even today, and I wouldn't do this, but we could line up the ten best-dressed people here today. Put them up here on the platform. And then I could go to a florist and I'd say, make ten arrangements for flowers for me. I bet you that every one of those arrangements would be more beautiful than the ten best-dressed people that were standing here on the platform this morning. It seems that nothing we can create comes even close to matching the beauty that God displays in flowers. And yet flowers and grass are temporal. I was coming out of the hospital Friday night, and as I was coming out, a a man was walking in. He had this big vase with this um, unbelievable display of flowers. And I was thinking about this passage as he was walking in, and I thought, you know, those flowers are going to last maybe a week, maybe two weeks at most, and then they're going to be thrown in the garbage. Such magnificent beauty that's only temporal. What he's saying here is, do you not think that God, who clothes the flowers with such magnificent beauty, flowers which are here today and in a week are thrown in a fire, do you not think that that same God is able to clothe you who are eternal? Loved ones, God is not miserly. He lavishes his grace upon us. Look at the lilies. Consider how God clothes them. Stop worrying. The last one. Let's call worry what it is. It's a lack of trust. I think if I was probably to be even more brutal and more honest, I would say, Let's call worry what it is. It's a sin. Because worry is a statement about God. Worry is a statement about our view of God. Worry is an exhibition of our lack of trust in God and who he says he is and what he says he will do for us. See, the Christian who worries is really thinking, God, I know you mean well by what you say, but I'm really not sure that you can pull this off. God, I I know what your word says, but I really don't believe that you're powerful enough or strong enough or that your character is just and holy enough that your promises will come true. So I need to take things into my own hands and I need to worry about this. There's only one place else in Scripture where we find this word, and J.B. Phillips translates this, you owe, you, of, you little faiths. And it's in Matthew 
when Jesus is talking about the, uh, telling the story of them going across the sea in Matthew chapter 8. And you remember they all pile into this boat and they go across the Sea of Galilee. And as they're paddling or going across the Sea of Galilee, all of a sudden this amazing storm whips up. And it just starts hammering the boat. And the disciples are just fearful and they're just concerned and they're wondering what's going to go on. And they're really actually quite ticked because as they look around for Jesus, they can't find him. And finally they do find him. He's at the front of the boat and he's fast asleep. And they rush up to him, they wake him up, and they say, Don't you see this storm around us? Don't you care about us? And Jesus says to them, Oh, you little faiths. Who did they think they were in the boat with? What did they know about Christ? What did they observed about Christ? What did they heard in Christ's teaching? What were they thinking? What did they think he could do or not do? They had no comprehension of the power or might of Christ. So together then, we have these observations about worry. And if you put them uh, all together, we can boil them down to maybe three things. One, consider God's way with creation. If you're struggling with worry this morning, go for a walk today. And just say, God, would you show me your care and concern for nature? And out of that, say, God, will you help me now see that the same way you you, you care for this world that you have made, you will care for me. Secondly, consider the futility of worry. We need to be reminded of this sometimes. Worry is absolutely useless. Why do it? Thirdly, remember that your heavenly father knows what you need. He says this as he comes to that passage, as he's talking to them, that our heavenly father knows exactly what you need. So don't be like the people around you who don't know God. So what do we do then when we're found, when we find ourselves in circumstances that we can't extricate ourselves from? Find ourselves in circumstances that are beyond our control and they're, 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 they're pushing us to worry. What do we do? How do we eliminate it? Jesus makes it very clear. He says, first of all, change your thinking, trust your father. I know that sounds so simple, but it's true. Change the way you're thinking about the situation. Trust your father. See, one thing is very clear, that worry is not a characteristic of the child of God. Worry in a Christian reflects an identification crisis. Really, what we're saying is, whose am I? Who do I belong to? Whereas Jesus says to them, remember, your heavenly father, notice the intimacy, your heavenly father knows that you need these things. Your father knows that you need these things. See, if your concept is that God is right and you see him as the owner and controller and provider and beyond that as your loving father, then you know that you have nothing to worry about. Jesus said to you, what man among you, if a son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? See, there's two zingers in those verses there that, uh, that are, are in verses um, 29 to 30. The zinger one is, worry betrays my identity. You see, worry is something that those who don't know Jesus do. Jesus says worry is something that ca- characterizes an, uh, an, somebody who's not a follower of Christ. And so they're always thinking, what, what do I do? What can I get? How do I hoard? What do I store? Um, how do I look after myself? Jesus says, don't be like that. 
Act like a child of God. The second zinger is worry reveals my lack of trust in God. Because Jesus, as I said, says your father knows that you need these things. Change your thinking, loved ones. Secondly, change your priorities. And this is where it gets really hard. Because we, we this, is, this is stuff, as I said, from a different perspective. So how do you eliminate worry? Change your thinking. Now he says change your priorities. Seek the kingdom of God. Remember, Jesus said life is more than food and clothing. So seek the kingdom of God. Seek spiritual realities. Notice the progression in verse 29. He says, do not seek after the things that the Gentiles do. Then in verse 30, he says, the nations seek those things. Don't follow their example. And then in verse 31, he says, but you, and this is a command, seek after the kingdom of God. See, we need to get away from ourselves We need to step out of ourselves and we need to look to the kingdom of God. We need to bow before King Jesus. We need to acknowledge that he is sovereign over all, that he's the master of our life, that he knows my beginning and my end. He knows me by name. He knows every tear that I shed. He hears me when I call. I need to submit myself to that God and pursue being a subject in his kingdom. See, focusing on earthly things will create earthly affections. Focusing on spiritual things will create spiritual affections. Then he says, don't be afraid. As we seek the kingdom of God, don't be afraid. Don't all of a sudden worry, well, if I don't do this and I don't do that, I, what do I, don't be afraid. I love that. Don't be afraid, little flock. So gentle, so kind, so shepherd-like. The Father has great things for you. He's already promised to give you the whole kingdom gladly. Don't be afraid. He'll provide for what you need. And then the most difficult one, which has different application to all of us, sell your stuff. Doesn't that seem like a radical solution to worry? Rather than hoard stuff, sell your stuff, And give the money to the poor. That's an amazing statement. Something very difficult for all of us to wrestle with. But what Jesus is saying is is that if, if you want to stop worrying about your stuff, get rid of your stuff. And and worry about the kingdom things. He says, Don't hoard, give it away. Our security in God our Father frees us to be generous with our possessions and be generous. With others. Is this not life from a different perspective? Is this not thinking that is often foreign to us? Jesus says one of the ways to handle worry in your life is meet others' needs by selling your stuff and giving it away. So change your thinking, change your priorities, and then thirdly, open a heavenly account. He says, buy for yourself money purses that don't wear out and lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. In other words, in other words, stop worrying about material things. I know you need them. I'll take care of you, but worry about eternal things. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. 
Do good. Sell, sell your stuff. Help others out. Provide for their needs. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. I think it's Randy Elkhorn who says, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead of you. I like that. He, he understands what it is to lay up treasure in heaven. You can't put it in your pockets and in your coffin, but you can send it ahead of you and open an eternal bank account. Loved ones, this is a totally different perspective to life. And I I think this helps us because we as Christians are those who, like everybody else, when circumstances first hit us, they can shake us. But quickly, as we reorient ourselves and our thinking, we can be those who, in the midst of difficult circumstances, know the peace of God which passes all understanding. And so when somebody comes to you and they say to you, what did you do when you had that diagnosis that was so bleak? How did you handle that call from your your, your accountant or the person who looks after your money and say, I'm sorry to tell you, but you've just lost 40% in your investments? And you might say, you know, my initial thought, my initial thought was, oh, what am I going to do? But then I started to think about my God. I started to reflect on my Heavenly Father. And I remember that He has guided and directed me so safely to this point. I've seen how He has cared for His other children. I believe in His promises and I know that they're true. And so as I wrestled with this, I began to cast myself upon God and I began to experience this deep peace in my life which made sense of my circumstances. And you have an opportunity then to share with somebody what it is that God does for you and how he helps you through your worry. The last thing, and I think this is um, so important in this whole area of worry. Recall often the greatest demonstration of God's care for you. This isn't in, this, in the text here, but it just jumps out to us. Romans eight thirty two. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not then graciously give us all things? Beloved, look at what God has done in order to bring about your salvation. Look at how when you are in your greatest need, in the depths of despair, without hope, without God, hostile towards him, burdened down by the weight of your sin, God came along and he says, I want to deliver you. I want to take your sin. I want to give you hope. I want to help you to know God. And he gave his son, Jesus Christ, so that you could have life. If God would go to that extent to deliver you from your greatest enemy, will he not freely then give us all things? As we go into the next couple of moments, we're going to sing a few songs. And what I want us to do is just to reflect on these things. And if you're full of worry today and you've been wrestling with it, maybe ask God to help you a little bit this morning. To, 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 to consider some of the words of Jesus and to say, God, I, I can't live like this any longer. I don't just want to manage my worry. I want to eliminate it. I want it out of my life. And, and if you're having trouble getting started, we're going to sing just a couple songs that help us reflect on what Jesus has done for us in saving us. 
And maybe start there and say, God, if you can do that much for me when I was in such dire straits spiritually, help me come to the point where I will trust you with my material situation.